There we go. Okay, good. Well, Owen Hadley, <laughs> welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Uh, you've been here at the architectural school in Stockholm, um, holding a lecture, mm -hmm. and it was about your special topic. I would say the the criticism of uh, like post Thatcherism, post the new labor architecture in in Great Britain. And you you've written two books mm -hmm. about the subject. Mm -hmm. So. Uh, what I think is interesting is that you're trying to, well, you're criticizing what's, what has happened in the 80s, 90s and the 2000s uh, in, in the field of architecture. But you're also sort of um, an advocate for a new way of looking at modern and modern architecture and modernism, so to speak. Mm -hmm. In what, what are you trying to, what, what, what do you want to rescue um. from modernism that now has sort of ended up Two Quite things, badly, yeah. yeah. Two things really. Um, one of which being social, one of which being architectural, and they kind of intersect at different points really. Yeah. Um, socially, I just want to remind people on the left of just how much they've lost, because I think since 1968 there was a kind of critique of people on the left um, towards modern modern architecture as a kind of um, technocratic, you know, kind of. Uh, rationalist thing that was, you know, that, 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 that they saw as almost kind of totalitarian. Um, and there seemed to be no real change with them um, when that became the dominant ideology, as it did in 1979, and as it has been more or less ever since. Um, it didn't seem to concern them that, um, that what they thought when they looked at a tower block was much the same as what extreme right-wing politicians who were dismantling the welfare state thought when they looked at a tower block. Um, so, in a way, it's about kind of pointing out to people that, that actually what happened then was a, was a game, that what happened then was a social game, that, um, that you know, that for the first time, really, um, people were um, being rehoused and um, being housed in um, environments that were qualitatively far superior to those they've been in before, um, that were cheap and were subsidised, um, were enjoying a quality of life through things like you know um, public health and mm. public education and so forth that was considerably higher than what they've accepted for the last thirty years, um, and so it was just about pointing out you know these are the various ways in which it was good, and in architectural culture. And, you know, it's also a kind of, um, it's less of a problem, I think, at least I find it in, in architectural culture at all. Most, you know, most architects, at least in the UK, um, seem to be fine with the idea that Peter Smith and uh, Peter Allison and Peter Smith are better architects than Will Alsop. And that's, mm. that's nice mm. to know, you know, mm. that, that the rehabilitation of modernism there has progressed much further than it has politically. Um, but what then happens is that the politics is evacuated. So I don't, I don't think I need to do that much work to rehabilitate it as architecture because that's already happening, mm. uh, happening well without my, you know, well, mm. completely without anything. It's nothing to do with me. It's been happening for like ten years before I was ever writing. But the um, what is the missing link between? So, so for instance, in something like Park Hill in Sheffield in the UK. You know, you have essentially the privatisation of, of public asset being sold as a kind of architectural rescue. This great icon that fell on hard times we are now turning into, you know, uh, a, a sexy loft living solution for, mm. for professionals. Mm. Um, and so this, this argument about architecture, the argument about isn't this great architecture, is obscuring the fact that a project of, 
expropriation is taking place, that a, that a piece of a public architecture designed for working class people is being taken away from them. Mm. Um, and so that that's kind of the that's what's happening there. That's mm. what I'm trying to kind of do is stress both of those two things. Yeah. I, I remember reading your book, you coined a term, uh, class cleansing, I think. Yeah, found yeah. One of your it's not, it's not my term. The term actually comes yeah. from graffiti. All right. It was in the, uh, a place called the Peeps Estate mm. in Deptford in southeast London, um, where there was a, a large and cons- uh, a large generation project considered very successful by you know various um, of the usual suspects. Um, where basically a kind of very monolithic, um, very monolithic 1960s development um, was being kind of part demolished. So there were three towers, and then there were kind of deck access blocks around them, and a big bit of open space in the middle. And the open space was filled with new flats, frequently for sale at market rent. Mm. And one of the three tower blocks was completely cleared of everyone that lived there. Um, and resettled basically with people that were very very rich. Um, unsurprisingly, this was the tower block that was on the river. Yeah, the other two were so in land, but the one on the river was sold for lots and lots of money. And this was happening about two thousand and three, four. And I just remember just walking around there, and there was a big bit of graffiti on one of the blocks that was being that, that was being emptied, where it said "regeneration is class cleansing." Mm. And I thought, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you kind of that stuck to stuck to your mind when yeah. you read that. Um, but according to you, what What could be done then, bridging this gap between sort of the the understanding of modernism within the the core of architecture and the sort of the way that architecture is played out in the field of politics and in society? What is to do with this? When you talk about that, there's a difference in not only accepting but kind of but seeing the values and using modernism yeah. um, for social and political means. Um, well, I guess I mean again, it's a sort of dual thing. I mean, and 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 architecture, I suppose, what you know, what I'm trying to do is remind people of the fact that modernism was not about you know it's about things being nice for a certain class of people. It was about it was part of a project mm. to shift things politically in the favour of the majority, and shift things socially and qualitatively in favour of the majority and their rights and their, mm. and, and and their lives. Um, and I guess there's also another thing. Another aspect of it, which is trying to kind of persuade people in the labour movement, what's left of it, that part of their project to improve things for the majority um, was previously, you know, a very forward-thinking um, architectural form. It was very, very forward-thinking architectural and planning ideas, because there is a tendency, again, a kind of post sixty-eight tendency, I think, um, for the left to be very retrogressive in these terms. Mm. Um, various different kinds of retrogression, whether you know the kind of extreme, a kind of like back to the land kind of purism, and then the kind of in between somewhere you have um, the sort of Jane Jacobs idea of you know how cities were made in the late nineteenth century is the best mm. way, and anything else is wrong. Mm. So, well, well, so if, yeah. if we can just stay there, the <laughs> Jane Jacobs, because that is an interesting thing. Also, you um, um, now when you're here and, and lecturing for the for students at the School of Architecture in Stockholm. Um, you talked about the sort of the 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 very strong heritage of Jane Jacobs in yeah. nowadays, and also got questions about that being like the hegemonic idea It of is. how to build cities right now. But you're kind of sus- suspicious of that. I'm very hegemon- very suspicious of it. I mean, there's there are things in Jacobs that I think are really important, actually, and things things that I think could be remembered. Um, and it's an insistence of not looking at cities as a problem. Mm. And that was so dominant in her day. Was you know the, the, she writes? I can't remember what it is, but it's a, a supposed slum that she writes about in Boston, 
Um, and she writes in Death and Life of Great American Cities about sort of meeting a planner there who's kind of like, and, and sort of saying to him, but don't you think it's a great area? And, you know, isn't it? It's really nice. And there's this bit here and there's this bit there. And, you know, and he's kind of like, oh, yeah, you're completely right. It's lovely. But it's a slum. Mm. And, that, that, you know, that someone will listen to you and then they go, yes, but it's a slum. Um, and that, that aspect of, like, trying to make people actually look and actually work out how people live in an area and how they use its architecture and how they use its planning and how they make a place work for themselves, I think that's really, really important. Um, and similarly, I think the kind of effort of sort of Jane Jacobsians in the UK to, you know, especially in the north of England, actually, of like going to places like Newcastle or Manchester and Glasgow, well, not in England, but anyway, you take my point, um, and, 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 um, and saying, you know, look at this, it's actually really good and it works really well, we shouldn't be ashamed of it. That's important because cities have a tendency to be ashamed of themselves. And if there's anything that I like in her, it's that thing of like, you know, let's be unashamed about cities. Let's not see them as Mollocks, as mm. let's not see them like Lewis Mumford saw them as insensate. Mm. You know, let's actually see mm. them, see industrial cities in particular mm. uh, and modern cities as. So you mean that great she things. actually is kind of read in a too narrow way, also? The, 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 I, th I think that actually that, that was very, very open minded of her. Mm. I think that compared to people like Mumford, um, she was genuinely fascinated by cities. You always get the sense of someone like Mumford. He didn't really visit cities that much, you know? He always got the sense, you know, it was. It was As, the, as they say in the UK, it was book learning. Mm. You know, you never got the sense that he had tramped those streets lots of the time. That he, in the city and history, as people pointed out at the time, you know, he just made like elementary mistakes that you would know if he'd actually mm. visited lots of those mm. towns. Um, and she was very much about, you know, walk around there and see and, and, and work out how the local economy works and, mm. you know, do like in depth research there. Mm. And that's all good. Um, the problem with her for me is that, uh, is the very American. A spin she puts on things um, you know that the, the, I don't think she's very useful for analyzing the kind of social state that emerged in in the UK for mm. instance or in Sweden or in Germany or, or, or in Eastern Europe um, I, I think that what she describes which you know she always talks about a project and for mm. her like the Lincoln Center is a project and like you know housing projects are projects places that are kind of like done almost um, on sufferance, you know, they're done like as acts of charity. And that seems to be how lots of public work um, happened in the US. I don't think it happened in the same way. I don't think people were, I don't think it was de haut en bas in the same way. Mm. And so I think that led her, and also the fact that she's, her stuff is kind of phrased in this American ideology, that anything um, the public sector can do, the private sector can do better. Mm. So she writes about unslumming, for instance. And unslumming is like this magical process that just happens. People just get their stuff, get their shit together, and then they unslum Greenwich Village <laughs> somehow. She doesn't really seem, you know, weirdly, given that her attention to like, you know, research on site, she doesn't seem to notice that unslumming might have a lot to do with certain processes that otherwise she doesn't like. Mm. Like if you look at how certain areas of the UK like unslummed, they did so because of the fact that these places were no longer intolerably overpopulated and no longer you know were people living you know several families to a room or several families to a small flat mm. um, because of the new towns because of council estates because of these huge public projects that she decried um, these places were able to to unslum themselves um, and she doesn't see that she doesn't see that dialectic at all she just sees people doing things for themselves man And, you know, it comes from, like, American, you know, 19th century liberalism, and then it kind of taps into the 60s, kind of quasi-anarchism. And I think it's, it's, a, it's mythical. Mm. I think it's mythical. 
And, her, and, and then what happens with her disciples, I think, just makes that even worse. Um, and the example I mentioned in the talk, which I think is just one of the most glaring, although I could have picked several, um, was the Elephant and Castle in southeast London. Um, and the Elephant and Castle is an area that probably, you know, despite having been quite heavily bombed, would have been exactly the sort of thing Jacob sort of liked in the 1950s before it started getting rebuilt. Um, it was mainly tenements rather than houses. It was quite kind of, it was very, very, very high density. It had a reputation for crime, but it was also quite kind of like, you know, had a sort of folklore. Yeah, know. had a kind of a, a community. And a community, yeah. exactly. Um, although the community probably less so after the bombing, but anyway. Um, <laughs> but it then gets kind of comprehensive, you know, it's, des it's designated exactly as she describes as a problem. Um, you know, so a huge project kind of comes in and completely alters it, you know, um, top to bottom. Um, and we can debate that. You know, I think that, the, that, that there's a case for it, that the housing that was built was probably superior, um, that people probably, you know, uh, would have lived in various respects much more, much longer and healthier and better, and, and better lives in the new housing than they had mm -hmm. in the housing before. But it's debatable, you know, that there is a case to be made that what was done there shouldn't have been done. But now, 50 years after it was done, the idea is, let's basically do the same thing. Let's do it as an act of retaliation, almost. Mm -hmm. Let's take this area that has, kind of, has gone from having a kind of very dense kind of tenement system to having basically blocks in parkland, and then a kind of very, very large shopping centre, a very large covered shopping centre in the middle of it. Let's take this and then let's impose upon it all the Jane Jacobs rules. Let's have active frontages, let's have short block sizes, let's have very high density, etc., etc., etc. All the kind of things that she advocates in the kind of very problematic last bit of death and life of American, great American cities is going to be done in the Elephant and Castle. Um, which completely misses that over the last 40 years it's become a completely different place. That if you go to the shopping centre, for instance, rather than the shopping centre being you know, a series of chain stores and supermarkets and so forth, um, because of the fact that, that it has quite low rents, because it's not terribly popular, uh, or that's because it's not terribly popular in the way that, that shopping mall developers like, it's become exactly the kind of community uh, fulcrum that, um, that an existing high street, an existing kind of 19th century high street would have been. It's the place where you find the local Colombian restaurant, the Portuguese restaurant, the Polish restaurant, you know, the second-hand bookshop, the laundrette, you know, the, 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 the kind of shops that will do you, like, you know, that will, like, fix your phone, mm. <laughs> you know, that will mm. unlock your SIM and so yeah. forth. All those sorts of things, they're surrounded with a market, with a street market around it. And so actually, it's become a very, very Jane Jacobs-like space in the sense of it being the kind of street life that she enthuses mm. about while breaking all of the rules about how you're supposed to produce street life. It doesn't do, doesn't do it in the way that it's supposed to happen, but it happens. Mm. And what they will do, of course, um, you know, because of the fact that, the, that, that her project happens to, not, not uncoincidentally, have coincided with a massive, trip, massive shift in wealth and, and assets from the, rich to the, from, 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 from the poor to the rich, is that those new blocks will be lived in by the very, very affluent, and the new shopping centre, you know, if it ever happens, because currently it's, it's currently on hold, um, will be entirely made up of chain stores. Mm. So actually it will, it will become a homogenized corporate place mm. while ostensibly not really breaking any of her rules. The only one of her rules that it breaks is, always, is, is her insistence that, that, that reuse is probably usually a better idea than you build. Mm. That part of it, it breaks, but all the rest of it, fine. Mm. There's a line from, um, what's the guy's name, Mayor of New York, Bloomberg, um, where he talks about 
uh, building like Robin, Robert Moses or Jane Jacobs in mind, mm. um, which David Harvey mentions quite a lot. And that's, that's what's happening. That's what's been happening for some time. Yeah, I was thinking about it, but it sounds like when you describe it, it sounds like they're playing the Louis Mumford role with Jane Jacobs. They're, they're reading her, but they're actually not walking the streets. So actually they're, well, it's, 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 it's cyclic, you know, the next generation you will have to, have, well, you could be one of them, of course, the advocates of <laughs> these places that can sort of reinvent the, the or turn around and get people to see what's really there, like Jacobs did, as you said. So, so I suppose that's, is, is that what you're trying to do? No, well, it very much depends. I mean, this, you know, this, the question is always, and should, or should always be, who benefits? And there's actually in London, and also in, in other cities in the UK, but particularly in London, um, been a huge amount of rehabilitation of modernists. Uh, estates, um, in many cases by um, by taking them directly out of the public sector, like happened, like happening at Elephant Castle. In other cases, by the fact that the things like the right to buy enable a kind of more gradual penetration of the middle classes, and something like the Brunswick Centre, for instance, that's what's happened. Um, and I know of course there's places like the Barbican that were built for the middle classes in the first place, and are now for the upper classes. Um, so, in terms of like people um, being you know, going around those places and finding value in them. That's very much happening in both senses of the word value. Um, so, uh, you know, that's that's why I think it's so important to do to do this as a social project because mm. otherwise, you know, it's just kind of like, isn't the Trellick Tower cool? Let's all move there. Mm. It's like, yeah, you do that and then other people aren't going to be able to live in the Trellick Tower. That's, that, that's, that's the thing. Um, you know that I, th- I think it's much more encouraging, for instance, that the Scottish Parliament is, start, is is planning to ban the right to buy council housing. I think that's a much better result, a much better possible. You know, um, will have much better possible effects on housing than you know than people going around and deciding brutalist architecture is cool. It is cool, but so what? <laughs> you know? um, when you you've been here, you've also visited some of when you're now in Stockholm. You've visited some of the some of the some parts of the city. Mm. Some and parts. some parts of the city, <laughs> some parts of the inner city, and some parts of the suburbs. Mm. And I, I recall when you when you held your talk that you you presented pictures of, of the Fleming Bay, mm. um, area, located just around the the university campus of Sudtorn, mm. and then you, you sort of you just mentioned that if this if this area Fleming Bay Fleming's Bay, had been located in London, it would have been. Completely gentrified, you said, Absolutely. and because of the the high standard of the architecture mm. and uh, so just the design and layout of the whole area. Um, but it's not. It's something. Then something else makes you think mm. that everything is not quite all right uh, in the context of Swedish urban planning or the Stockholm urban planning. And what is that? It's very hard to tell. I mean, because you know, there's not a great deal of literature in English on this, and I read, I read what I can. Mm. Um, it just seems to be a kind of slow motion version of what was happening in the UK. You know, the, the, in slow motion, things are being sold off. In slow motion, you know, there's a sort of um, there's a, a sort of much more gradual project um, of of expropriation going on, um, and. In many ways, I find it kind of, in many ways, even more distressing because you've got so much more to lose. Mm. 
um, you know, the, the, the welfare state in the UK was a very... In, in like in a, in a qualitative way? Yeah, or, yeah. So, so much more to lose in a qualitative way. Um, you know, the, 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 the welfare state in the UK was always a very, very contested thing. And, you know, there were, there were times when, you know, certain aspects of it, you know, were quite grim. So a lot of the housing, particularly in the late 1960s, was, was very, very badly built, for instance. Mm. Um, and the Swedish welfare state very much seems to have been a fairly unambiguous success. Well, that, up you know, until a certain point. Up, yeah. to a, up to a certain point. And that certain point is also reached in the UK. Of that certain point in the 1970s where it's obvious it's got to go, that the compromise isn't working and it's got to go one way or the other. Mm. And I guess we have different, you know, we have, there's different ways one can think about that, which is like, let's try and maintain the compromise as much as possible. <laughs> That's or true. Let's, or, or let's shift it left or right. And what well, seems to have happened, at least from my perspective, is that it was shifted right just very, very slowly mm-hmm. to the point where it's maybe only really in the last five years where it's really obvious what's what's happening. But what is the fear? I mean, still, the, let's say the welfare state concept is not, not something that uh, the government does, that rules uh, the Swedish parliament right now uh, wants to throw out of the window. I mean, they still want to keep it because it's a very value-laden thing. I mean, you, you have to take care of it. It's like something generation have invested in and you just have to use it in a very smart way so that it's still there and not being completely ruined. Um, but what is it that with, with architecture that still sort of have a problem with this kind of welfare state idea? What do you mean? Um, well, that's, um, well, let's say in the architectural form that the welfare state during the social democratic era was, was sort of formed in. Yeah. That has now such a bad reputation, you could say. Certainly, the Million Programs seem to have a bad reputation. Yeah. And when I uh, and from their reputation, again, when I went to Flemingsburg, I was expecting it to be like, you know, like the peripheral states of like East Berlin or Warsaw or something, from the way people talked about it. And mm. it's really, really not. Mm. You know, the level of architecture and planning, and even even maintenance, given the fact that maintenance is one of the main problems of them, seems to be much, much higher than you would get in in the UK or in Poland or in you know or in lots of Europe. Um, so I guess that's a slight thing of like, you know, what, what's everyone's problem? And I think that that's, you know, I think that's again to do with the fact that 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 that, that you have the continental thing here of expensive centre and, and and problematic outskirts. You know, when I when I feel a street life akin to that of much of the much of inner city London, much more walking felt like much more walking around Flemingsburg or Vellingby hmm. than I did walking around the centre. The centre seemed like a suburb, white, quiet, homogenous, you know, pleasant, insipid, mm. um, affluent, bland, um, you know, and, 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 you know, in the suburbs there seemed to be a lot more, a lot more life, you mm. know. Mm. Um, so, so it's kind of complicated, I think. It's a, it's a very, very different, different spatial system here. Mm. Yeah, I think we should we, we should definitely let you go out and, and, and look in, in, into stuff. <laughs> release Owen. Yeah. Space. yeah. <laughs> Thank you for for, for, for for talking to us. And, uh, Thank you. Thanks for uh, We will of course uh, advocate your your um, your books uh, in the <laughs> podcast. Uh, uh, the last one, the uh, Great Ruins. Oh, uh, no, that, was, that, was that was the second. That was the second. Third yeah. to last, actually. <laughs> okay. <laughs> let, 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 a new kind of blight. There was a new kind of bleak. And bleak. A new right. kind of bleak. A new kind of blight would be a better title, actually. I wish I thought of that. <laughs> that's really... Kind of blight. new kind of blight. That's great. Yeah, that's right. I just read your book completely. I thought it was the new kind of blight. 
Yeah, new kind of bleak, and then and the, the old one was. Uh, the, the Ruins of Great Britain. The Great the Ruins of Great Britain, and and this lovely book, uh, Uncommon, about the pulp and Sheffield, which mm -hmm. I highly recommend. Well, thank you all for coming. Thanks a lot. Thanks for your time. Okay. Sorry, that was like great. Yeah. Sort of like a bit rambling. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Vi har haft möjligheten att fånga Owen Heatherly när han var på besök här i Stockholm på arkitektskolan på ett seminarium. Owen har skrivit flera böcker om arkitektur och politik som han har givit ut. Den senaste heter A New Kind of Bleak. Och Bra läsning för alla som är intresserade av relationen just mellan politik och stadsbyggnad och arkitektur. Så vi skickar iväg här en liten, ett litet samtal med Owen Hadley på arkitektskolan i Stockholm i september 2013. Men du, hur firar du din födelsedag? Hur långa ska vi fira nu så här med... Bara någon liten... Vi måste ju 